When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! Welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. Our show today is truly awesome because we're going to talk about celebrity wedding crashers, chauffeuring guests, not saying, let's get together soon, how to work with an interpreter, how to not become the pack horse for your group of friends when going out, and in our Postscript segment, we'll explore bad language through Amy Vanderbilt's eyes. That's all coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning, and we're from the Emily Post Institute. Should we tell them what happened this weekend? I think we should. Did really? Like, yes. Because this is... This was pretty darn amazing. This was hit the brakes, throw the car into reverse amazing. Five years in the making, knock me off my chair, amazing. I visited Dan's house this weekend. It was a surprise <laughs> visit. It was totally unintentional. I had, I decided that on Saturday I really wanted to go hiking. I Benny and I needed to hit a mountain, go be on top, that sort of thing. And um, so I grabbed my friend Bill and we went and hiked Camel's Hump. And for those of you that didn't know the show, Dan's talked about living on the mountain, living on the mountain. The mountain he lives on is Camel's Hump. And I didn't realize that the same road I take to the trailhead is the same road that Dan actually lives on. Because there are, there's different sections of it. I'm not great with geography. There's different trails that go up the mountain that come from different sides and faces. Exactly. So, you know, we get finished the hike, Bill and I do, and I'm, I'm so tired and just like dehydrated and ready to go home and get some food. I hadn't eaten anything, so I was like really depleted. And I'm driving down the road and all of a sudden I see Dan's green Subi with the license plate EPI. And I was like, oh, that's Dan. Wait, that's <laughs> yes! Dan! And I slam on the brakes. And I was like, wait, little house, footbridge to little house, car parked outside, that's got to be Dan's house. It's got to be Dan. Oh, my God. Bill, do you mind? Do you mind if we stop by? You don't understand. In the four years that Dan's been living there, I have not stopped by at this house. They've invited me to. He's like, just stop by. I was like, okay. <laughs> and then I got worried because I didn't see Pooja's car. So I was like, oh, no, I bet they're out. Watch, they're yep. out. And this is the first time. I was like, whatever. I'm going to go explore anyway. When you're cousins and you work together, you get that privilege. <laughs> so I, st- I hop out of the car and I start across the footbridge. And there's Dan building like a new, I guess it's steps, but it looks like a deck. It's a deck. It's but a it's landing like, coming yeah, down off the like, bridge. Yeah. yeah, but it's a good, like, 20 feet long. I mean, it's big. And he's, like, you know, got his, his muscle tee on, and he's got his pod, Rome, the History of Rome podcast was cranking. Great podcast for yeah. those of you podcast fans, History yeah. of Rome. But this is 
not the end of the story. I visit Dan's house. First of all, he's an adorable, cute little yellow house on the side of the most beautiful section of the, the little river stream that comes down from the mountain. It's absolutely clear water with these beautiful pools. I can picture uh, you and Pooja, you know, lounging in there in the summertime. And you've got like this one little shed out back and then you've got the sauna and you've got the fire pit and... It's just this beautiful, sweet little scene. My my favorite part, though, is that there are some family heirlooms yes. that are, are part of the interior of the home. Yep. And it's so much fun for family to visit because Lizzie walks through the door and she starts saying, oh, the table for yeah. mud and poppies. Or, or, the, or the picnic basket. I mean, when we say heirlooms, we mean just the stuff that we were used to growing up with. The things that when we went to visit mud and poppy, you know, that was their side table. That was their knickknack. That was their china. Mm-hmm. That, And it was so one of the cool things about our family is that these items have all been divided up and when we go to each other's houses you get to see the items and it's kind of a wonderful reminder you f- you feel a little bit like your home whenever we visit one of our cousins or our aunts or uncles homes it, and it's the feeling i get when i walk through the door it's so nice to share that um and i, I should also say that this, this is a uh... Entirely understandable that Lizzie hadn't been to visit yet. We were talking, even as we were sitting out <laughs> we back. We were explaining to Bill how this happened. R- remarking that it was uh, might, might seem unusual. And <laughs> at the same time, we work together 40 hours a week. We spend a lot of time together. So we don't plan a lot of social time together outside of work. And, and yeah. it's something we've both gotten really used to. Well, and we spend a good amount of time talking and sharing about our lives at work. We, we bond that way. It's funny. I remember when Pooja first came into your life and she, every week was asking me, come up to the house, come and I'm like, yeah, yeah, but on my free time, I don't want to drive an hour to your place to hang out with someone that I work with. <laughs> no offense. And I'm family with, so I see you at family things too. And Pooch totally wound up getting it. She she completely understands. But how nice was it to just like actually get, it was so nice to finally get to see your place, see what, what it was about. It was very cool. But this wasn't the coolest part of our visit. Then we, we had a fun little... Adventure. We had like a Disney animal moment. Dan had had this hummingbird in his mudroom that was stuck and it was trying to get out through the skylight, right? Exactly. Yeah. And it, it was getting tired because it was a hot, humid day and the hummingbird just couldn't find its way out. And sure enough, the hummingbird lands on the side of a wall and my friend Bill just scoops it up. In his hands. In his hands. Just there it is. Oh my gosh, Dan... Bill, Bill just caught the hummingbird. Like, let's let it outside. So Bill goes to let the darn thing free, and it doesn't leave his hand. It, it is was so, so tired. Yeah. It was so tired that it couldn't move. And so it just sat there, and we were kind of like, huh, it's just sitting there. And we were petting it and, you know, like, feeling all, like, nature and everything. And then Bill was able to then transfer it to my hand. And after about 10 minutes of it being in my hand, we then transferred it. Dan went and filled up the hummingbird feeder with sugar water. And we tried to get it to, we were like hand feeding it droplets of sugar water. And then we transferred it to the hummingbird feeder where it sat. So we're going to try to get those, those photos up on Twitter for you. And it took off. It It was gone about 20 minutes later. It it had found its way on about its life. It was very pretty little green hummingbird and it was a very magical little moment. But it was so, it was such a cool little probably half hour visit that we had with you. And it was so great to see the place and 
you know, I can see why you and Pooch have a hard time debating about, do you want to live closer to town? Do you want to live up on the mountain? I'm voting for both. Keep the, keep the mountain house as your mountain retreat, get a nice little cottage in town. You know, I I will also um, jump in and say Pooch was so sorry. She missed you. She Uh, got home about an hour later. She'd been down at the Audubon center walking Raju, our little pup. And um, she couldn't believe she had missed you. What? What? This is not. It was great. It was really very, very cool to get to see your place and um, and to have a cool Disney animal moment there. And very, very cool to be surprised by Cuz. It was a nice break from my deck project on a hot, sunny afternoon. It was a yeah. hot. It was. It was a hot, humid day. Um, but very cool. So sometimes surprise guests and uh, unannounced visits are actually good things. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think we've indulged. Yes. Shall we get on to some questions? I think we shall. You mean that's all there is, just what we've talked about? Oh, no. But you already know a great deal. And you can learn still more by watching Mother, Dad, and other people who have good manners. On every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or give us a call at 802-866-0860. Our first question is about celebrity wedding crashers. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. For the past few years, it seems as if there's been a trend towards celebrities dropping in uninvited to random strangers' weddings. From the majority of the stories I've read, the celebrity in question seems to have pure intentions, staying only for a short time to take pictures, sing a song, or generally wish the couple well. However, I can't help but think that it's awfully presumptuous on the part of the celebrity, and they can take the focus away from the bride and groom in a way that's not always welcome by their mere presence. What are your thoughts on this? Is it ever appropriate for someone, however notable or famous they may be, to crash a stranger's wedding? How would you suggest brides and grooms handle wedding crashers in this situation and in general? Thank you, Kate, in Los Angeles. I'm imagining that Los Angeles this happens more often than not. And we're not talking about celebrities who get invited to weddings, mm-hmm. which absolutely does happen. <laughs> yep. Celebrities are people too. But this is more where really they are not on the guest list and they show up as a gift or a surprise to the couple. Yeah. And, and what do you think? I think that um, Kate's asking a good question. When she's asking, what is the what is the essential etiquette here? And I think she's identified it in her question when she talks about taking attention away from the bride or groom, that ultimately this is a couple's very special day and that the heart of good etiquette is really keeping the focus, keeping the attention on them as much as possible. I think it's entirely possible that a bride and a groom could be very excited (laughs) that a celebrity ended up at their wedding. And if it ended up being part of a very special memory from that day, I think it could be something that everyone might really enjoy. Truthfully, from an etiquette standpoint, no, you do not. Dan's shaking his head back and forth and now nodding. Nodding. Like, he's like, no, you don't crash a wedding. Yes, that would be bad etiquette. The technical is that it is bad etiquette. But I think like what Dan said, if you know that this couple is just going to be over the moon and the visit isn't going to disrupt the wedding so much, then I think it's probably a good thing. I like that she talked about how often they stay, take some pictures, sing a song and then leave. And I think that's really clutch. I think that helps it from turning into mayhem. And I also, the the scenario that I imagine is that there's a resort where a wedding's going on and a celebrity is staying there also. That it's not so much an intentional, oh, there's a wedding, I'm going to go 
jump in on the free bar as much as a we're all in a shared communal area at a, a hotel, a resort, a destination. And it's almost impossible to ignore each other, particularly when someone so high profile is there. Yeah. And that basic acknowledgement and engagement is maybe even part of good etiquette, good courtesy in some ways. It all depends on how it's handled, <laughs> of course. Very true, very true. Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Um, so Kate, I feel like we've given you a mixed answer, but that's that's really kind of the answer. The, the technical is no, they shouldn't show up to a wedding they were invited to, but if they are kind of a gift or a special moment or something that someone was able to coordinate and make happen, obviously surprises can most likely be good things as long as they're they're managed well and they don't take attention away from the bride and groom. Dan, who would be your who would you want to sh- have show up at the wedding? I think I saw the the YouTube video of Justin Timberlake singing a song at someone's wedding. You and want the, Justin Timberlake uh, at your wedding? Well, <laughs> I wouldn't mind. I think he's good. But um, the idea of a celebrity that was willing to actually sit in and maybe sing a first Perform. song or do a small performance that could really so add to the, like the memories of the event. Actor for you, it would be a it would be a singer. It wouldn't be Clooney at the bar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, no, it would be someone who who would engage somehow and, in something. Yeah. yeah, but you can't think of who. Come on. Give me a who. I am so obviously not a star chaser. <laughs> there, there is nobody that jumps into my mind. I love the blank that was just drawn. I'd want Van Morrison to show up at my wedding, oh, man. Pick. Could you think of anybody who could play more songs for you that were just fabulous, like, no. great wedding love songs? Like, no, absolutely and just, not. It's like that's one a of my great favorite, choice. Top five favorite musicians, you know, that's totally what I, I'm seeing him in October. So I'm, like, getting all ready for Van. 
I would be really curious, though, to know from our audience if anybody has had a celebrity show up to their wedding. And if you have, please write in, give us some feedback, tell us how you absorbed it, how you felt. Or if you were a guest at a wedding where this happened, what did you think about it? I really I want to hear from some people who have experienced this. Kate, I'll leave you with a parting thought. You ask, how do you handle a wedding crasher if it does happen? And I would leave you with a final piece of etiquette advice that, of course, you do the best you can. You you uh, handle it with as much grace as possible. You don't want your throwing someone out to become a bigger distraction <laughs> than they're making by being there in the first place. So I would keep that original point of etiquette in mind. Try to keep the focus on that bride and groom, and you're going to be in great shape. Our next question is about working with an interpreter. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I'm a new teacher working in a multicultural school district with students who are learning English for the first time. In my job, I have to frequently interact with parents who do not speak English and rely on a translator for parent-teacher conferences, IEPs, etc. What is the correct protocol for these types of meetings? Is there any advice you can give for these interactions? Your faithful listener, Kelly. Oh, Kelly, we do have advice for interacting with an interpreter. You want to acknowledge both the interpreter and the parent, but when you speak, you actually talk to the parent using gestures and facial expressions um, as if they could understand you. So you just talk to them as if they do speak English, and then the interpreter obviously translates and they understand. But it's that sign of respect of, I am talking to you and I want to communicate this to you, and all that comes across with your body language and your facial expressions. And that's, that's you know, obviously, you know, you thank the interpreter. You can turn to the interpreter once you're done. But for the most part, you actually really do try to interact with that person. It's such an important reminder because so much of communication isn't just about the, the meaning of the words that we're exchanging, but the ways that we interact as people. In fact, that's such a part of all good etiquette is the ways that we experience each other's company, the way we um, empathize with each other. And like you say, that can happen just from eye contact which is really, it's amazing how much is communicated just by maintaining that eye contact while you're speaking. You don't want the interpreter to um, unintentionally create a, like a wall between you and the parent. You want the interpreter to facilitate that interaction between the two of you or, or help it or further it along rather than all of a sudden create this, oh no, I'm talking to you know, Kelly over here as opposed to. And it's so natural that that person is going to draw your attention because in many ways they're the one who's receiving this information. Would you go over anything with the interpreter beforehand? I know that you talk about this in our business etiquette seminars. Absolutely. I, if at all possible, I think it'd be a good idea to meet ahead of time and go over any complex concepts mm -hmm. that an interpreter might need a little more time to digest and think about how they're going to communicate. You can go over jargon or technical terms. Even in the, the question I heard, teacher conferences, IEPs, et cetera, I'm thinking to myself, you might want to go over with an interpreter or translator what an IEP is exactly or what some of that jargon or language that's specific to the meeting might be. I would also think that if you could, a check-in afterwards is also a really good idea. We recommend this in business. If you have any opportunity to mine your translator or interpreter for information about how they thought the meeting went or how the information was received, they'll oftentimes be picking up on cues from your audience or the people that you're meeting with because they're doing that translating. Kelly, those are a couple of tips that might help with your next parent-teacher conference, and we wish you the best moving forward. Our next question is one that I am guilty of, and I think a lot of us are guilty of this, um, but I am definitely guilty of this living in a small town where I grew up with a lot of the people I run into. <laughs> 
It's titled, Let's Get Together Soon. We did not a whole lot of alliteration in our titles this week. All right. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I seem to have picked up a bad habit recently, and I'm wondering if you can help me deal with it in a better way. Often when I meet with acquaintances or friends I don't see often, when we part ways, there tends to be an enthusiastic exchange of suggestions to meet up again soon, and sometimes even the loose sketching out of plans, which will then need to be followed up on. The situations I'm referring to are those where I'm fully aware that these plans will never be finalized, either because the acquaintance is a bit flaky or because our relationship works just fine only seeing each other occasionally, and it would be unnatural and unnecessary to meet up again soon. However, it feels like it's almost become a social obligation to at least put up a pretense of wanting to make arrangements for the very near future upon parting. I feel disingenuous making these enthusiastic verbal commitments I keep thinking back to your principles of etiquette, and it's just not honest or respectful of the other person. Is there a way I can part ways without making any kind of commitment, yet without being rude and rejecting my acquaintance's offer to see each other again soon? Please help, Rebecca. Oh, Rebecca, I think just about everybody can sympathize. Totally. Picture or imagine a situation like this. And when the platitudes and the niceties start to sound insincere, mm-hmm. you start to tread into that territory of being disrespectful and dishonest. And you're, you're, you're wise to be careful about not treading into that territory too lightly or too frequently yeah. in a way that starts to negatively impact relationships where people don't take you seriously or where they, worse, think of you as someone who's disingenuous and insincere and superficial. I think another thing to think about, too, is I hear how much ownership you're taking over this. Like, as I'm the one being disingenuous, I don't want to be dishonest or disrespectful to them, to others. I'm curious about these people that you have this exchange with. Do they ever pick up the phone and call you to make that get together to do those final file plans? Like, I just had this happen this weekend. A gal I went to grade school with um, ran into her, loved seeing her out. It's really nice. But we don't hang out in the same social circles, really. We cross paths and are happy to every now and again. But she always says, you know, let's grab a drink sometime. And I've noticed that neither of us ever reaches out for that drink. And so I'm not all that worried about it. But at the same time, I think that there are simple ways to start curbing your language so that you don't get into this. And it's very easy to say, it's been so nice running into you. Take care. And Mm -hmm. wish them well, or good luck with the party this weekend, or good luck with the that. And then move on. And if they say anything, you can say, oh, yeah, sure. Or, you know, right now is a crazy time for us, but maybe we can try and catch up in a month or two or something like that. And I've had that happen, too. And I'm always a little grateful for the person that kind of understands that their life isn't one that's going to be able to accommodate me in a couple weeks, you know, because I'm not really seriously thinking about accommodating them either. This is one of those few questions where I I feel like I have some sample scripts because my... My cousin Lizzie, the master of sample scripts, is such a more gregarious and social person than I am in some ways. So I feel like these are sample scripts that come more easily to me because they're the ones I use to escape or or, or, uh, avoid making social commitments. To run up to his house on the mountain and be alone for the weekend. All right. Um, And and I definitely came around to the then after I would say something like I'm going to suggest, I, I... the take care or the goodbye that closes off the meeting is a good one. By the way, I'm laughing right now because I'm reading these on our script in front of us and I'm going, uh-huh, how's he going to make this sound good? Let's hear it. So, Dan, let's get together soon. You know, I just can't imagine planning more than a couple days ahead at the moment. Thank you so much for the offer. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. <laughs> oh, you're right. It, oh, you're right. It does sound terrible. Let's oh. try your next one. <clears throat> Dan, oh my gosh. I do, we should plan something with Pooja soon. You know, my calendar is so full this summer. I'm trying not to commit to anything more than cooking dinner right now. <laughs> oh, I totally understand that. You guys enjoy your weekend. Ooh. Oh, look, that one worked. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Let's do the next one. Oh, Dan, it'd be so much fun to see you soon. Let's make a plan to get together. You know, I am I'm treasuring my unscheduled time right now. I'm so busy. I totally understand that. Although, I have read articles about being about not using the phrase I'm busy. Because oh, no, you're it right. sounds you're right. people people say and you actually don't even have that in the script. It's just what came out naturally. It's a thing where you actually probably do have time, but you don't feel like you're allowed to say, I just want time for myself. And one of the things I love about the past two answers that Dan has given, or especially this one, is I'm treasuring my unscheduled time. That's okay to do. Mm-hmm. It's totally okay to do. All right, let's get your fourth one. Dan, I'd love to see you soon. Can I call you Friday so we can make a plan? You know, it's it's so good to run into you, to catch up with you, to hear what you've been doing, but I really don't have time take care. <laughs> then I wouldn't that go straight to the work. take care on that one so much. No, I, like I tried. I tried. I you gave did. it a shot. And I also think that you would know which one to use with the right person and you're never going to make someone feel uncomfortable. So, well, thank you. <laughs> Rebecca, we really hope this helps. It's such a great question and it is something that, that we all encounter. And I think a little bit of preparation makes this type of moment much easier to handle. But there's more. What's that? More questions coming up, but first, a word from our sponsors. Here, let's try another trick. Our next question asks, to drive or not to drive? I live in a resort area and occasionally have guests flying in to visit. The airport is two-plus hours away. Must I offer to pick these guests up, committing to four or five hours of driving and often leaving other guests alone for this time? They generally offer to rent a car and drive themselves, but I always feel guilty. Thank you. Anonymous. I love this question. You don't have to feel guilty. <laughs> I just want to t- say that right off the bat. You do not have to feel guilty about this. As the host, while it is great to offer to pick up or drop off your guests, if it really is no big deal, then don't worry about doing it. And obviously it's easy. But when you don't want to or it's going to be really inconvenient to or you have other guests to entertain during that pickup or drop off time, it's perfectly fine to suggest that a rental car or bus or shuttle or I don't know what the other options in your area could be are are a good idea for this particular visit. I know that when I go visit my folks down in Florida, and granted, I understand I'm talking about a parent-child relationship here. There are some times where my parents will come and pick me up, do the the two-hour 
hour drive to the, it's exactly the same thing, two hour drive to the airport. And there are other times where they'll tell me it's going to be best to rent a car. And I never feel slighted either way. Um, I also remember uh, going down and visiting a friend's family in Florida, and it was the same thing. On the, the ride in, her brother was able to pick us up, and that was great. And the way out, we said we needed to figure something out because it just was silly to make them drive two hours. And I think if your guests are saying that to you, if they're saying, no, 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 rental car is super easy for us, don't worry about it, then don't worry about it. Don't feel guilty. No, I was. I had a similar approach. I was thinking it's really situational. Yes. Because every guest is going to be so different. Your situation when different guests come and go is going to be different. That maybe for someone who's coming a long way, it's their first visit. You've really encouraged them to come. You might make that offer to come get them a bigger part of the visit. Where if it's someone that visits twice a year, knows the routine, you know they rent a car anyway, you might be much less inclined to make the offer in the first place. Absolutely. Anonymous, we hope that this helps with your next round of guests visiting, and hopefully it'll cut down on a little bit of your drive time and that guilty feeling. This question is titled, This Question is a Real Thing. (laughs) Sounds like something I'm going to agree with. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I like being prepared for all eventualities, and as such, I rarely leave my house without a bag containing what I consider to be the necessities. A big bottle of water, my wallet, chapstick, painkillers, a mirror, sunglasses, reading glasses, my charger, a book, and my iPod. I'm a pretty anxious person, and so knowing that I'll be prepared for any unpredictable situation, for example, my train breaks down and I'm stuck for an hour with no water, or the sun unexpectedly breaks out from behind the clouds and blinds me. I like that being the reason for sunglasses. (laughs) Reassures me a lot, and I am happy to lug around a heavy bag all the time in exchange for this peace of mind. However, I've noticed that my friends and relatives have a habit of taking advantage of this. If we are leaving to go somewhere, often they will acknowledge my bringing a bag and actively make a choice not to bring their own. But inevitably, they turn to me later on and ask if I wouldn't mind carrying their sweater in my bag or if they could just pop in the bottle of water they've just bought. I used to not mind this so much, but it happens so frequently now that it's really starting to irritate me. I carry my bag for my own needs. And it's heavy enough as it is without having to load it up further with items my companion wants to temporarily discard. Do you have any suggestions for how I could politely deal with this situation? It makes me feel like such a moaning molly to make a fuss about something so minor, but I'm also getting really resentful. So I'm probably coming across equally as grumpy if I don't say anything at all. Please help, moaning molly. Moaning Molly, I connect to this question in a couple of really personal ways. Really? Carry a lot of purses? No. My mother used to call herself Packy as a a reference to how much carrying of other people's stuff she did. She didn't mind it. It was the way she would sort of invite people to ask her to carry things when we left in the morning or struck out in the day. But this happens to guys, too. This isn't just purses. Really? Yes, because I carry my backpack. I feel like yes, Molly. I Because totally. I, I want my charger with me. I want that thing that I can read if I ever find myself sitting somewhere for a half an hour. For all of the reasons that Molly likes to carry her gear. I like to carry gear also. But also, guys often have pockets. Yes. And when you're out with someone who's wearing maybe a dress that doesn't have as many pockets, oftentimes men end up carrying things for their partners or the people that they're okay. with also. And I was thinking about times when it's assumed that I'm going to be doing some carrying. And even just that little thank you or that little acknowledgement from someone else goes a long way towards making me feel better about it. 
But back to the question, I think you can always say, you know, my bag's getting full right now. Could you hang on to that? It's yeah. not a big deal. And it's a relatively easy way to just say no. Yeah, you just say, I, I think that's exactly it. I Among my girlfriends, this definitely happens. I'm the one usually walking out the door with just keys, cell phone and like the credit card and the ID and that's it. And I find ways of stashing those those items or just holding them. And I, I admit I was really grateful. My friend Marisa the other night said, hey, do you want me to hang on to your keys and your cell phone for you? And I was like, wow, thank you. That'd be awesome. But she offered. And I think that's the difference here. And when your friends are saying to you, can you get hold this? Can you hold this? I would just say, I, I love what Dan just said. My bag's really full right now. I'm sorry. Do you mind hanging on to it instead? And that's it. And just turn it down. You do not have to be the pack horse for your group of friends. Molly, we hope that helps. And we hope you don't feel guilty the next time you decide to turn down one of these requests that you carry something for someone. You hear that? She says you're not as rude as you used to be. What do you know? Thank you for your questions. Don't forget to send us updates and comments and give us your feedback. You can do so by leaving us a message at 802-866-0860, or you can write us at awesomeetiquette@emilypost.com, or you can find us on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette. Well, it's time for one of our favorite parts of the show, where we get to hear from our producer, Hans, who's going to share a little bit of your feedback with all of us. That's right. Today, we are going to get some feedback. And to get it, we all have to jump in the Wayback Machine and go back in time, because we had a couple of new listeners who took on the challenge of starting Awesome Etiquette all the way from the beginning, which is episode one, which is, frankly, amazing. Woohoo! That's so great. It means so much to us. So Casey wrote into us about episode 56. And for those of you who might not have listened to episode 56 recently, the segment that inspired Casey was the postscript segment from that episode where we talked about how to deal with telemarketers, sales reps, and customer service reps, whether you're calling them or they're calling you. And Lizzie and Dan, the short version of your advice was... Be nice. (laughs) Basically, yeah. The premise of the answer was that the kinder you are, the better service you're going to get, that ultimately good etiquette is good, not just because it feels good, but also it's good business and it tends to generate and engender the best responses in others. And I think we talked about how to how to think about what if if you work at a company, how would you want your salesperson or your representative to be treated by a customer, whether that customer was angry or happy or whatever? And to try to really put yourself in that perspective. That's exactly right. And that's what Casey wrote to us about. Casey said, I used to work as a customer service rep for an office supply company and had to field calls from people who were placing supply orders, inquiring about the status of delivery or returning items. As the person on the other end of the phone, I can't tell you what a difference it makes when the caller is patient and compassionate or at the very least cordial. I often took calls from people who were completely outraged at the printer ink they received was the wrong kind or couldn't possibly wait another day for their order of pens, which is really not a life or death situation. I would do everything possible to help them, but sometimes there was no perfect solution and I would have to sit on the phone with them while they yelled and complained. I remember one particular instance where the caller was so rude and angry that I was crying and shaking by the end of the call and it completely ruined my day. It was a really difficult job for that reason, and as much as I didn't enjoy it at the time, it instilled in me the importance of always being polite when taking a sales call or making customer service call. This one really hit home for me, and I wanted to pass on my thanks. 
Oh, I'm so first of all, I'm sorry that you had that awful customer service experience where the person made you cry. But I'm just so glad that someone who has been in those trenches is telling us that, yes, that really does make a difference to them. I mean, I I think it really would make a difference, but it's nice to hear that from the other side. Yeah, definitely. So we also got an email from Kimberly. Now, Kimberly was responding to episode two. Let me repeat that. Episode two. Yay. Amazing. So the question that inspired Kimberly to reach out to us was whether or not you should take the flowers when a wedding is over, so everything is over, the flowers are still on the tables. Are you allowed to? Should you take those flowers? And Lizzie and Dan, you guys said... I think we said that if you've been offered them, it's okay to take them, but otherwise, please leave them there. (laughs) Don't assume that they're just there for you to grab. Sometimes they are donated. There's a plan for them. They go to an old folks home or they end up, you know, getting distributed to other people so you don't know. So Kimberly co-owns a floral design company. Oh. And she said... Recently, we lost a few beloved glass pieces due to guests taking the arrangements home. I think guests need to understand that sometimes the glass, vases, bowls, etc. are rental items and are to be returned. Taking the floral is great because a lot of the time they're just thrown away. And if the couple is not designated someone to take them home or another location. But please don't take the glass unless you ask first. I'm loving learning about etiquette. And thank you for doing this podcast. I think that's a great extra note. Yeah, Kimberly, thanks for the compliment and thanks for sharing because that's a, a really good tip. Well, thanks everybody for writing in and we're especially excited that you're going back to to much older episodes, some of our first episodes, and really listening through and writing in and commenting. And it's wonderful to, to go back and be reminded of some of the things that we've talked about in the past. And uh, we hope that we hear more from our audience because truly we love hearing from you. It's one of our favorite things. You're worried about not doing the right thing. To make a good impression, you must know what to do. It's time for our Postscript segment where we take a deeper dive and look at a particular area of etiquette. A couple weeks ago, we revisited Emily Post Etiquette, the original edition published in 1922, and looked at table manners, how they've changed and how they've stayed the same. And this got us thinking a little bit about the the canon of etiquette literature. And today we're going to return to another book in that canon, a book by Amy Vanderbilt, who was a contemporary of Emily's. Lizzie Post found a, a relevant section in this book that she's going to share with us today. <laughs> yeah, Dan's grinning gleefully, especially when you find out what it is. So this is out of Amy Vanderbilt's Etiquette. Uh, the subtitle is The Guide to Gracious Living. This book was first published in 1952, and I believe the edition we're reading from is the 1972 edition. We enjoy looking at some of the other etiquette experts, um, you know, from the last century and just seeing how they talked, why people resonated with them, what their thoughts were. Were they similar to Emily or not? So this is Amy Vanderbilt writing about bad language. And she has some sample scripts. All right. Normal conversation today can certainly be studded with what not too long a time ago was considered abnormal language. Not only is the context of our conversation so free that it is virtually without taboos, but words once confined to the locker room appear freely on the lips of some of the most delectable young women. The injunction, watch your language, is meaningless because young people in particular don't seem to know what language to watch. What shocks us does not shock them, but seems to be a perfectly reasonable way of expressing themselves. Four-letter words, once anathema, now appear in the public press. 
in the movies, on the stage, in generally available books. The underground has surfaced. Most of the acceptable euphemisms are scorned. Much of this may be healthful. More of it is offensive to fastidious people. It has always been true that words that are offensive in one culture can be perfectly acceptable in another. Words with shock value now can relatively shortly become non-abrasive through constant repetition. Even nice old ladies are no longer shaken by an overheard four-letter word, however they may disapprove. The hostess still has the responsibility of making an evening as pleasant as possible for all of her guests. If she finds conversation growing unpleasant and uncomfortable for some of her guests, she may certainly take a guest or guests whose language seems excessively offensive aside and say something like this. I wonder if you would be a little careful. There are people here tonight who are conservative. I know you don't realize that the words you are using or some of the subjects you are introducing will offend them, but the truth is that it is the case. I hope you will help me to make their evening pleasant by using more conventional language. That's quite a sample script. If this doesn't work, a hostess can certainly separate guests who obviously are unsympathetic. To teenagers, your own or others, you can explain that even though many adults use such expressions, they are not acceptable in your house. Explain to them that these are ugly words, that they offend many people of sensibility, and that they are particularly unattractive coming from children or from women. If you keep calm about it and don't show shock, you may be more effective. Among the young particularly, the very words you are inveighing against may shortly be out of style because they have lost their value as attention getters. Thank you, Amy, for teaching me that other etiquette experts can write really stilted sample scripts also. <laughs> I but know. I, Could you imagine, though, pulling someone aside at a party and say, I mean, it's it was a little patronizing, but I get where she's going with it, you know? And and I can clearly see her intent to show that she respects where they're coming from, is bringing this up because she wants to save them the embarrassment. I can hear the, the same basic principles that really were lasting for Emily at work here also. So, so good. And I love the fact that she really took time to recognize and talk about how Words of one generation mean one thing and words to another generation mean another. I love the fact that she said, you know, through a lot of repetition and exposure, these can just become, you know, words that have little meaning. It's part of why I've been trying to curb my language is that not that I want swear words to be more effective, but I think that that it does become lazy to turn to them. I think that that is true. And I like the idea that, that you know, you can kind of uh, pick and choose your battles with these and obviously pick and choose your audience. I love her awareness that manners change and evolve, that they vary from one culture to another. And I'm also uh, smiling with her difficulty with the younger generation, because this is a generational question that comes up in the etiquette business about how you pass on what's important, how you acknowledge the new that's emerging. It's um, it's a generational question. Every generation faces it. And it's it's fun to see how different generations have wrestled with that. And I think the 60s and 70s were a particularly challenging time for the social order. I think maybe even more so than today. Well, and I love the fact that she's not saying you have to accept these words and you have to accept these changes, but you can set your own boundaries. In our house, we don't use that language. And I love that. It gives permission for the world around you to be adapting and changing. It gives permission for you to set your preferences or to protect your guests. And I think that that's very empowering. I was I was pretty impressed with, with that particular section of the book. Me too. Thank you, Amy Vanderbilt, for your contributions to the field. 
But why? Why does it matter? For several reasons. Look, maybe I can show you. Well, every week we like to end our show with a listener salute to good etiquette. And today we hear about a good deed under unpleasant circumstances. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. My name is Jessica and I am from Chicago. So my friend had booked a house for us to stay in in Nashville, Tennessee. We were really grateful when we got there to have the neighbor of the Airbnb host come and introduce himself to us. It's a quieter street that the house is on, and we were all sort of arriving at once. So you've got a whole bunch of girls, a whole bunch of cars, um, all sort of bringing our luggage inside. And so I think he saw the commotion and came out just to see what was going on and see if there was anything he could do to help. We are all animal lovers. Every single person who was on this trip either has or had a pet and is just obsessed with animals of all kinds. And so when we got there, we were really excited because we saw this black cat in the backyard. And this cat was more of like a neighborhood cat, just kind of outside walking around. Um, so then the next morning, we saw the black cat sitting on the porch along with a teeny tiny little black kitten. And it was so cute. And we were so excited, but we also didn't want to disturb them. They were just laying in the sunlight, enjoying their afternoon. And so we just kind of went out to go explore Nashville because that was our plans for the day. And the next morning, we woke up and went to breakfast, actually, on the recommendation of somewhere that the neighbor had told us about. And we happened to run into the neighbor when we were there, and he asked us, oh, did you girls happen to see anything weird when you got back to the house yesterday? And we were like, well, no. It, I mean, you know, we saw some cats earlier in the day, but we, you know, just assumed that they're kind of around. Somehow, unfortunately, the neighbor during the day while we were gone had discovered that the baby cat did not make it through the day. Um, and so the neighbor um, discovering this took it upon himself to remove that from something that we would come back to see which we really appreciated because, like I said, we are huge animal lovers. If we had come back to the house to see that poor little kitty there, we would have just been devastated, and it would have definitely put a huge damper on the trip. You know, we would have stopped what we were doing and probably had a little kitty funeral. Um, so I just wanted to say on behalf of myself and all the girls who were staying with us, thank you to this neighbor. Um, we really appreciated you taking care of that really unpleasant situation for us. It probably was not pleasant for him either. And so we really appreciated his help with making our vacation more pleasant. Jessica, thank you for that bittersweet salute. It really was kind of that neighbor to take such good care of you all on your vacation. We so often hear about people being unhappy with the vacation rental next door or the neighbors at their vacation rental being less than welcoming. And that makes it extra impressive how this neighbor went out of their way to really be a good neighbor in this situation. Thank you for sharing. Well, now, wasn't that better? Look at the effect of a little politeness. We love our etiquette salutes so much, so please keep them coming. We need your salute for our next show. Well, that's our show this week. Thank you for listening. And thank you to everyone who sent us something. 
You can send us your questions, comments, and salutes by either calling in and leaving us a message at 802-866-0860. Or you can reach us by email at awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can also find us on Twitter. I'm at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E. And I'm at Daniel underscore Post. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. And don't forget to help us out. Subscribe on iTunes. And please, if you like us, leave us a review. Our theme music was composed and performed by Bob Wagner. Our show is produced by the incredible Hans Buto. Mm-hmm.